1: Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 489th episode of the History Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I'm your host, Diane. And this
2: is Kelly, still in California.
1: <laughs> but hopefully <laughs> next time you'll be back here in the studio with me. Yes. On this episode, we have a location that was suggested by our listener, Jennifer Almond. And it's kind of dear to my heart because this goes back to old Hollywood. And I think everybody knows how much I love old Hollywood. And that's the Pickfair Estate. This was once the home of Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks. Looking forward to bringing you the history and haunts of this location. Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the spectacular crew: Sabrina, Sarah, Sadie. Look, Kelly, we have a little bit of your uh, alliteration alliteration <laughs> going on with the S's there. <laughs> Amber, Sin, Cyn, and Carrie, K E R R Y. Thank you so much for joining our Facebook group. And now, this moment in Oddity.
2: The moment in Oddity was suggested by Jared Rang. There's an interesting Navy legend involving the USS O'Bannon, which was a Fletcher class destroyer. It was the Navy's most decorated ship of that class during World War II, having earned 17 battle stars and a presidential unit citation. The legend surrounding this ship involves a battle with a Japanese submarine. The event took place in April of 1943. The O'Bannon spotted the Japanese sub cruising on the ocean's surface. Initially, the plan was to ram the sub. However, the captain was uncertain if the submarine could be a mine layer, which would have resulted in blowing up the USS O'Bannon. At the last minute, the captain ordered the rudder swung hard to avoid collision. This caused the O'Bannon to align directly alongside the sub, making it impossible for the destroyer's guns to hit the submarine. As it turned out, there were several Japanese on top of the sub, appearing to have been sunbathing. Many different versions of this legend have the sailors then pelting the submarine with potatoes. The Japanese undoubtedly believing the potatoes were hand grenades. The distraction gave the USS O'Bannon enough time to pull far enough away from the submarine so as to take aim and fire upon it the sub was hit but still submerged, allowing the destroyer to sail over the top of it and deploy a depth-charge assault. Of all the battles the USS O'Bannon participated in, employing a strategy of pulverizing a sub by pelting potatoes so proficiently as to gain the upper hand certainly is odd.
0: Scared yet? (laughs)
2: And now, This Month in History.
1: In the month of June on the 15th in 1991, Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines erupted. This was the second-largest volcanic eruption of this century. A precursory 7.8 magnitude earthquake in July of 1990 added to the stressors in the Earth's crust. Although the volcano had a short period of time with an increase of steam emissions after the earthquake, its 500-year-old slumber appeared relatively undisturbed. However, by March and April of 1991, magma began rising towards the volcano's surface, causing several small earthquakes. Steam blasts created three small craters on the northern side as well. Sadly, the surrounding communities were densely populated and the eruption was determined to be the largest on record to affect such an area. It was truly a cataclysmic event, ejecting more than one cubic mile of matter. The ash cloud rose 22 miles into the sky and a blanket of volcanic ash covered the surrounding areas. Some ash fell as far away as the Indian Ocean, and satellites tracked the ash cloud several times around the Earth. The eruption initially killed 350 souls, however, due to disease breakouts in evacuation camps, the total loss was brought up to 722. The event left more than 200,000 people homeless. The impacts of Mount Pinatubo's eruption continue to this day.
2: Pickfair Estate was once one of the most lavish properties in Hollywood. This had been the home of old Hollywood stars Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks and was previously a hunting lodge. Pickford would be the first to talk about haunting activity in her home starting in the 1930s. Stories would continue through the years until Pia Zadora bought the property and demolished the historic mansion, claiming that the paranormal activity was getting out of hand. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of Pickfair.
1: The Golden Age of Hollywood started around 1915. It's up for debate with some people, but that's kind of where I put it at. In this launched the silent era of filmmaking. The silent era would last until 1929, and two of its biggest stars were Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks. Mary Pickford went from playing wayfish young girls in silent movies to becoming one of the most powerful women in Hollywood. She was born in 1892 as Gladys Marie Smith in Toronto, Ontario. Her father worked odd jobs, but he had a hard time as he struggled with alcoholism. He eventually abandoned his family and died when Mary was seven years old. Her mother, Charlotte, took in boarders to make ends meet. One of those people was the theatrical stage manager for Cummings Stock Company. He hired Charlotte to play the organ and her daughters, Mary and Lottie, to act in a play called The Silver King and the Smith family was off and running, touring the U.S. by rail and performing in small theaters. This not only included Mary, her sister Lottie and mother Charlotte, but also brother Jack. Mary, who was still known as Gladys then, would finally land a Broadway play in 1907, and that's when she took on her stage name, Mary Pickford.
2: D.W. Griffith screen-tested Mary and hired her for a part in the silent film The Lonely Villa in 1909. Mary was drawn to the big screen because it was simpler than stage acting. Pickford signed with the Biograph Company, Griffith's Company, and landed more money than other actors they had signed. $10 a day with a guarantee of 40 for a week.
1: Can you imagine our modern day actors no. <laughs> getting paid
2: $40 <laughs> a week? I'm sure it was quite a bit during the time, though. At the time, it was big money. Pickford played all kinds of parts, both bit parts and leading roles. In her first year, she appeared in 51 films. I mean, she had to be working constantly to put Non-stop. that together in a year. Pickford moved on to Universal Pictures for a while, but eventually went back to Biograph. Pickford was being referred to as Blondie Locks or the Girl with the Golden Curls. She was a star and famous by the 1920s, and a silent film journalist wrote of her, The best known woman who has ever lived. The woman who was known to more people and loved by more people than any other woman that has been in all history. Quite a thing to live up to there. (laughs) Yeah. Pickford starred in 52 feature films and managed to score a record-breaking salary. She was the first actress to sign a million-dollar contract, and she became America's sweetheart.
1: Those 52 feature films were films that she starred in.
2: So, yeah, when you compare lady. that.
1: Yes. So, when you compare that to that, she made 51 films in her first year. That kind of gives you an idea that a lot of those were just bit parts in the background before she got more prominent. You can imagine here in the 1920s, this woman is at the pinnacle of Hollywood stardom. She is the it girl. Of course, nowadays, they would never dare to call an actress Blondie Locks, but she (laughs) did have these golden curls. And part of it was to make her look younger than who she was. We hear nowadays, I remember watching Beverly Hills 90210 back in the 90s. And one of the actresses on there, I think her name was Gabrielle. And she was like in her 30s, but she was playing a high school student. (laughs) So that's kind of what Pickford was doing here. I mean, she wasn't that much older or whatever, but she was playing girls that were supposed to be basically teenagers. Those golden curls that she had, a lot of them were, they didn't have extensions, quote unquote, back in the day, but that's what they were. It wasn't her actual hair. Wow, ahead of her time. <laughs> she definitely was. And really, when you look at her, I mean, when you think about the the glamorous stars and beautiful women that they talk about today. When you look back at her, I would say Mary Pickford was more, she kind of had the girl next door kind of looks to me. She wasn't really glamorous in that way. Not only was her star rising, but Pickford's power in Hollywood grew as well. In 1919, she formed the film production company United Artists with D.W. Griffith, Douglas Fairbanks, and Charlie Chaplin. So you're talking these are the people in Hollywood. Power players. Exactly. And they're all friends with each other. Through the 1920s, her films each grossed over a million dollars. She was flying high and then came the talkies. And this is the downfall for so many of these stars of the silent film era. It was, I don't know what it was that some of them just couldn't transfer from not speaking on film to speaking on film. One of the tricks that they tried to do during this time, Kelly, was they would try to get a lot of these stars on the radio. So that you could hear their voices before the movies actually came out. I kind of equate this to people listen to us on the podcast and they try to picture what we look like if they don't know what we look like. And we'll hear sometimes, oh, you didn't look anything like I thought you would or you do look like I thought you would. Right. So it was kind of this thing where they were trying to get the voice connected to the face because people have been seeing these faces for years and not a voice. And now they're getting a voice. And unfortunately for some of them, I think for the girls, it's not as big of a deal because, you know, you're going to have a higher pitch voice. Maybe it might be a little bit shrill. Maybe not. I don't know. But for the men, if you don't have this big masculine voice, it, it didn't transfer very well she's going to have that kind of a problem. And I don't really know why. I think part of her issue is the talkies are coming around at the same time that she's getting older. And just as our older actresses today have a hard time getting parts. I mean, by the time they hit their 40s, they're hardly getting any parts. And if you are, it's you're the mother of somebody in a a movie and you don't get a lot of starring roles as much. I I think they are trying to change that now. And she was just getting to the point where she couldn't keep playing these teenage looking girls and people just couldn't switch her over to now she's an adult woman. The other thing that's happening here, too, is that she cut off her famous ringlets and went for a bob. Oh, dear. So now we're not (laughs) Goldilocks anymore. So that was the other thing, too. So that's part of the reason why she's starting to struggle here as well. Pickford won an Academy Award for Best Actress for her first talkie, Coquette but it was downhill from there. Pickford retired from acting in 1933. That doesn't mean that she got out of Hollywood, though. She was still a part of the United Artists Production Company, so she's going to be doing a lot of producing behind the scenes still. She was married three times. Her first husband was Owen Moore, and they married in 1911. The marriage struggled with Moore's alcoholism and there were reports of domestic violence. They rarely lived together and divorced in 1920.
2: This was after she had already started an affair with Douglas Fairbanks. Scandalous. We've visited the Hollywood Forever Cemetery and we saw Douglas Fairbanks burial. It's a large plot with a reflecting pool. It's a really cool
1: plot. I I really thought it was neat. Absolutely. Because a lot of the headstones that are at Hollywood Forever Cemetery are pretty close together. It's like your typical cemetery, but his is kind of off away from everything. And it's it's a big, large area.
2: He only lived to the age of 56. He was born as Douglas Elton Thomas Ullman in 1883 in Denver, Colorado. His father was pursuing mining interests in the Rocky Mountains and abandoned the family when Douglas was five years old. Douglas's mother decided to name him and his brother for her first husband who had died from tuberculosis, John Fairbanks. Just like Pickford, Fairbanks started acting at a young age and started in the theater. He quit school at 15 and traveled across the country with an acting troupe. In 1901, he settled in New York and got his first Broadway part. In 1907, he married the daughter of a wealthy industrialist, Anna Beth Sully. The couple moved to Los Angeles and Fairbanks signed with Triangle Pictures and began working with D.W. Griffith. That was in 1915, but by 1916, Fairbanks was ready to be on his own and he formed his own company named for himself. He then got signed with paramount
1: pickford and fairbanks met at a party in 1916 and were immediately drawn to each other the two began an affair and traveled together to sell war bonds in 1917 with charlie chaplin chaplin and pickford were the highest paid stars in hollywood and fairbanks was the most popular they all made a force to be reckoned with and their formation of united artists would solidify that fact Sully granted fairbanks a divorce in 1918 But as we mentioned earlier, Pickford wasn't divorced until 1920. Fairbanks would marry her 26 days after the divorce was granted. The press referred to the event as everybody's hero marrying America's sweetheart. So for people who don't know, Douglas Fairbanks usually played the swashbuckling hero in most of the films that he was in. He was a very athletic guy, had a great body and all that stuff. So he was always considered kind of a hero. So you've got everybody's hero marrying America's sweetheart and they were Hollywood royalty and they would own their own noble manor, Pickfair, clearly named for the both of them. And again, this is ahead of their time because nowadays when people see a celebrity couple that are dating, they'll take parts of their names and put them together like Bennefer is Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so here we have right. Pickfair. Fairbanks bought 18 acres in Beverly Hills that held a hunting lodge. This was a building designed by architect Horatio Cogswell for attorney Lee Allen Phillips of Berkeley Square. Lots of renovating needed to be done to transform the lodge into the couple's perfect mansion. They hired architect Wallace Neff, and over the next four years, he transformed the house into a mock Tudor four-story, 25-room mansion, and a swimming pool was added, which made this the first house in Los Angeles to have a pool. Imagine that. Now it's like every other house probably has a pool there. The property also had tennis courts, garages, stables, a large guest wing, and servants' quarters. The interior was decadent with mahogany and bleached pine lining the halls, frescoes on the ceilings, mirrored decorative niches, and parquet flooring. Larger windows were installed to let in as much light as possible. There was an underground running track, so Fairbanks could run in the nude. Okay. Okay. As I said, he was an athletic guy. He loved to run. And apparently, I don't know why, but he liked to do it in the nude. I would think it would not be very comfortable, but I'm not a guy, so I don't know. (laughs) And there was also an Old West style saloon. Can you imagine having that right there in your house? No, but that sounds fun. (laughs) Yeah, I would love to have a bar like that. Now, this is later going to hold a collection of 1907 Remington rifles. Very cool. Yeah. The couple filled the house with the finest furnishings, much of it antique 18th century French and English period pieces and high quality art with a vast collection of Chinese objects and art that Pickford and Fairbanks had collected on their many trips to Asia. A couple of pieces from that collection include a pair of fine Chinese carved rhinoceros tusks and a Thai domicine silver lotus form covered urn, which the king of Siam had given to Pickford. Pretty cool. King of Siam, he's like, hey, I've got an urn here for you. No kidding. Very cool. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors.
2: Life magazine described Pickfair as a gathering place only slightly less important than the White House and so much more fun. And everybody wanted to visit Pickfair. The 1920s were a grand time for Pickfair and for Pickford and Fairbanks. The mansion was the social center of Beverly Hills. The house hosted the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, Charlie Chaplin, Dorothy and Lillian Gish, Greta Garbo, George Bernard Shaw, Helen Keller, H.G. Wells, Lord Lewis Mountbatten, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Joan Crawford, Noel Coward, President Franklin D. Roosevelt and Eleanor Roosevelt, Pearl S. Buck, Charles Lindbergh, Max Reinhardt, Arthur Conan Doyle, Thomas Edison, Gloria Swanson, Albert Einstein, Amelia Earhart, Jack Dempsey. (laughs) I mean, the list just goes on. Can you imagine the people who've walked through this door? Yeah. The King and Queen of Siam and the Crown Prince of Japan. Will Rogers even said in 1928, my most important duty as mayor of Beverly Hills is directing people to Mary Pickford's house.
1: (laughs) I just love it. The glamour wouldn't last as the couple's marriage unraveled. Fairbanks and Pickford divorced in January 1936. Accounts we read claim that Fairbanks continued to live in the house until his death in 1939 and that the couple just lived in separate wings. I don't know if that's true. It is a big house, but it's not that big that I would think you'd want to have your ex living there with you. So I'm not sure, but Fairbanks would remain the love of Pickford's life, but she found companionship again with actor and musician Charles Buddy Rogers, whom she married in 1937. It seems hard to believe that he would be okay with the ex-husband living in the same house. That's the other reason why I'm like, I'm not sure if he was there until his death. Maybe some of his stuff was still there. He stayed there occasionally. I don't know. Buddy and Mary remained married until Pickford's death in 1979, and they resided at Pickfair until her death as well. During that time, they held parties and fundraisers for charitable organizations, including an annual Christmas party for blind war veterans. The public got a rare peek inside the mansion during the 48th Academy Awards in 1976, when Pickford was given a second Academy Award for her contribution to American film, which was presented to her in the formal living room of Pickfair. There are accounts that claim Pickford became a recluse towards the end of her life and unfortunately that she had become an alcoholic like her father. After Pickford passed, Buddy Rogers moved out of Pickfair. He had such a fondness for the place, though, that he built a new home that was a smaller scale version of Pickfair. And the way I understand it, he kind of partitioned off the land because they did buy a lot of acreage. And so he's selling some of the acreage off. And then he's also living on part of it, too, and had built this smaller scale version on another part of the property there
2: the property sat empty for several years until businessman and owner of the L.A. Lakers, Jerry Buss, bought it in 1980. Buss's daughter recalled that when she and her father toured the house, Pickford's Oscar was still sitting there. Singer Pia Zadora bought it in 1988 and in 1990 decided to demolish the historic home. I want to just wring her neck right now. I know. There was huge public backlash and Zadora claimed that there was just too much termite damage to restore the home. Later, however, Zadora claimed that the house had been beautiful and perfect when she moved in, but then weird things started happening. Her family experienced terrifying paranormal experiences, so she and her husband agreed that they should tear down the house and rebuild. Unicom Global, an IT company, bought the rebuilt Pickford Estate in 2005. This new house is a Venetian-styled mansion with an indoor spa, theater, gym lavish master suite and several bedrooms the company uses it as an executive meeting center parts of the original pick fair are still part of the newer construction the original gates are there along with the servants quarters and the living room which are part of the north wing and a guest house and pool are still there
1: i don't really know what was going on here
2: because
1: Jerry Buss, when he moved in, he did a lot of refurbishment. So in 1980, he was refurbishing the place. I don't know that he lived in it for a very long period of time. I know that he took, I can't remember, there was one room that Mary Pickford had set up for some of her collectibles or something. And he changed that over to a lot of the awards that he had gotten for the LA Lakers and stuff like that. So it was kind of like a trophy room. She moves in in 1988. This is eight years after he's bought it. He's refurbished some stuff in that time period. And just a couple years after she moves in, she decides there's so much termite damage. She needs to tear it down. I'm not sure exactly what happened here. I think part of me in the back of my mind thinks she just wanted to have an updated house. And so she was looking for reasons But maybe the paranormal stuff was so much that she felt like if they tore down part of the house, it would take care of that. I mean, they didn't take it all down. Some of it's still there. So I don't understand the reasoning here. People know how I feel about tearing down old places and the fact that you (laughs) took this piece of, I don't know how she was allowed to do this. I would think the city would be like, no, this is a part of our history and old Hollywood history. No, you cannot tear that down. But it happened. You know, a lot of people, when you tell them Pickfair might be haunted in their brain, they're probably thinking, OK, so is Mary Pickford hot in the place? Maybe Douglas Fairbanks has come back to the place. No, it was haunted while they were living there. So this goes all the way back to them. Mary Pickford described many unexplained experiences in the house. These started as loud noises coming from the attic. Pickford claimed it sounded like somebody tramping around very heavily above her bed. She was a heavy sleeper, but these noises never failed to awaken her. So we're talking these are really loud. Mary even told a newspaper columnist about a conversation she had with the spirit in her house. She said, I sat up in bed and addressed myself to the ghost. I wouldn't treat you this way it isn't ladylike. I don't expect to be treated in this manner. The noises ceased. (laughs) I love that.
2: (laughs) Claiming her space.
1: Yes. I mean, we tell people all the time, if something is haunting your house, you let them know this is my house and you're not allowed to do that. You either have to get out or behave. And that's basically what she's doing here. And nobody's coached her to do this. She just came up with it on her own. On top of that, She's telling a newspaper this, so I guess she wasn't worried about them thinking (laughs) she's crazy. Right. The cook for the couple also claimed to have experiences. Pickford said, one day our cook, a practical, unemotional Swedish woman, ran out of the kitchen in terror, brandishing a knife. She declared she was being pursued by a strange, dark woman whom she had seen in the kitchen. Oh, my. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine? You just have your, your cook, who is this practical woman. I can already see her now. She's a Swedish cook, so she's got to be making some amazing dishes, definitely desserts. And she comes flying out of the kitchen screaming with a knife. You're thinking <laughs> either she's lost her mind or she's terrified. So what was this apparition like that she's grabbing a knife and running? Sounded
2: like a shadow figure, but female. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, when it says a strange, dark woman, that's what I'm assuming. I, I don't think it's talking about race. Maybe it is,
2: but... A friend and house guest of Pickford's seemed to have seen the same ghost. The guest said, I just saw a strange, tall, dark woman in the hallway up there. She was looking at the alcove. Her eyes wandered about in a puzzled way as she looked from side to side, as if to say something has changed here. At first, I thought she was Teresa, your maid. Then I saw she was a stranger. I went to speak to her and she vanished. Now, while Pickford believed the home was haunted, Douglas Fairbanks didn't, and he figured there was some kind of explanation behind the stories.
1: Kelly, we love our male listeners, but we know from many of these stories, it seems like the guys in the house are always like, nah, this place isn't haunted. I don't know if they just don't want to admit it or what.
2: I think women tend to be a little bit more sensitive, too. That could be. He maintained that he didn't believe in ghosts at all although he, too, heard the mysterious noises coming from the floor above them.
1: Obviously, if it's awakening her from sleep, it had to be waking him up, too, and you know she's grabbing him and going, Doug, can you hear that up there? So, Piazadora bought Pickfair, and fairly quickly she realized that the house had ghosts. She appeared on Celebrity Ghost Stories in 2012 and explained that she had put her kids to bed and then went to sleep and had just drifted off when she heard a blood-curdling scream. She recognized it as her daughter, and then her daughter came running into the room. She told Pia that she had seen what she thought was a ghost. She described a tall, whitish woman above her bed when she woke up. The woman was wearing a white gown, which is why I think she was saying that she was white, whitish, and looking at her and laughing. This has got to be terrifying. I believe her daughter was under the age of 10, seeing this woman standing above your bed in this white dress laughing at you.
2: Well, at least she was laughing and not looking menacingly. That's true. Pia didn't know what
1: to do. She hadn't noticed anything about the house yet, so she thought her daughter was just having nightmares. Pia took her daughter to a therapist who said that her daughter seemed fine, but maybe having a little bit of trouble with adjusting to moving to a new house. Pia said, years ago, my husband and I tore down one of the most iconic Hollywood mansions because of termites, but that wasn't the real reason. When we moved into the house, it was beautiful. Everything was perfect. It was a dream, but weird things started to happen. So my husband and I, after trying to figure out what to do, decided we were going to have the house raised. She continued, if I had a choice, I never would have torn down this old home. I loved this home. It had a history. It had a very important sense about it. And you can deal with termites and you can deal with plumbing issues, but you can't deal with the supernatural. How sad that that
2: was their fix for it.
1: Yeah, it just, again, I am perplexed because especially we're talking a more modern era, you know, the 1980s and early 90s, I would think you could find some psychics or something that would at least try to come through and sage the house or do something else to it to help alleviate this issue. But exactly, especially because we found a lot of the time, even though you destroy a house that was there and rebuild something. Or even when you take something away and it's just left a parking lot, you still have hauntings that could be going on there because the spirits are not necessarily connected to the framework of the building. And sometimes the hauntings are connected to the actual land it was on to begin with. But definitely a bad, bad way of solving that issue.
2: Well, a fun story about Fairbanks and the house was one day he was driving home when he spotted an aristocratic Englishman with a familiar face walking along the road he stopped to give the man a ride and the man accepted. Fairbanks was sure he recognized the man, but he couldn't place the name. So he invited him to Pickfair for a drink. The stranger accepted that as well. The two men drank while Fairbanks peppered him with questions trying to figure out why he knew him. This Englishman even seemed to know Pickfair intimately. Fairbanks wondered if he had been to a party there or something. Fairbanks secretary joined the two men in the room and Fairbanks whispered to him. Who is this Englishman? I know he's Lord somebody, but I just can't remember his name. The secretary replied, that is the English butler you fired last month for getting drunk.
1: (laughs) Fairbanks clearly didn't pay a whole lot of attention to his staff clearly not because <laughs> it couldn't have been that much of a time period that went between. He's like, where do I know this guy from? Oh, he probably, you know, helped to serve you dinner some nights and, you know, took care of your clothes, maybe if, if he did what a typical English butler would do.
2: <laughs> and you clearly and fired him. And ironically, he invited him in for a drink, which that's why he got fired a month before. <laughs> and you know
1: that the butler's going huh, this is weird. He totally fired me. I wonder if he's going to give me my job back. And then he's offering him a drink. So he's probably really thinking, hey, I guess it's okay.
2: Lord somebody.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who is this guy? He's got to be Lord somebody or another. Fairbanks didn't love the house as much as Mary Pickford did. He wanted to do a lot of traveling and, and this other stuff. And she just really liked being at her home and she loved it. Clearly, I mean, she stayed there until she passed away in 1979. Pickfair is not like it had been during its Hollywood glory days. That old piece of history is gone. Nobody at Unicom Global has claimed to have a haunting experience, but that doesn't mean that spirits don't still remain. I think they do. Maybe there's just not people in there enough to notice or they're just not paying attention. Right. Is Pickfair haunted? That That is for you to decide. Well, Kelly, it's not a place that we could ever visit because obviously it's owned by Unicom Global. It's behind a fence. There hasn't been anybody who's gone in there to do an actual investigation. It'd be very cool if this company would open it up and let somebody come in and just see what you're getting. Yeah, absolutely. Who was the woman standing at the bed of Pia's daughters? Was that Mary Pickford? Could be. I kind of have a feeling that that might have been her. And I don't know that she necessarily was laughing in a bad way. Maybe she was just smiling or I I don't know. (laughs) But uh, very cool. I I love my old Hollywood. I know that there's some issues with the way I mean, the way they ran the system wasn't all that great for the actors and actresses. I know, of course, you had white people who were playing people of other races and stuff back then. But there's a lot about old Hollywood that that I just I love that that era and the the glitz and glamour of it all. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We did hear from Stephen. He said, hi, I'm listening to your episode on Hammond Castle. I don't have any supernatural experiences to tell you about, but I wanted to share the following. My wife's family's from Gloucester, Massachusetts. My wife's grandmother as a young girl worked at the castle as an assistant to Mrs. Hammond and knew the family well. When she was older and got married, I want to say it was the late 30s or very early 40s, the Hammonds attended the wedding and gave a wedding gift of eight cut glass water glasses. It's pretty cool. Oh my. So we fast forward to the early 70s. Both my wife and I, as small children, we would not meet for about 15 years, would visit the castle with our mothers and would explore the castle and the grounds. Isn't that cool that they didn't even know each other, but they both visited the same place? Yeah, very cool. He said, I was fascinated with medieval history and knights. When we finally did meet, and after a five-year courtship, we went to France with the excuse that we were researching my family history. But I planned to propose... And I had a letter from her mother giving my future wife permission to marry me in a 16th century abbey that there was some family history connected to. Well, the moment came. She said yes, but she said no to the wedding in France without her family. So after a lot of thought, we decided we would do the next best thing and get married at the castle, given our connection with it. It was pretty spectacular, and I would not trade the experience for anything. I'm sure I'm imagining it, but I think Mrs. Hammond attended and watched on with approval. I know she was on the minds of my wife and her grandmother, who told a lot of stories that, of course, I can't remember. My wife's grandmother's wedding gift to us were the glasses that Mrs. Hammond had given her on her wedding day. not cool? Very
2: cool. Love well, that.
1: that. Well, that was 24 years ago, and when your episode popped up, it brought a smile to my face. Love you guys and take care. Well, thank you for sharing that, Stephen. I just love those stories. I love it when you guys share that stuff with us, so please continue to do that. They don't always have to be haunting experiences. What a really neat story connected to one of the locations we've talked about. Yeah. Kelly, we also want to let everybody know the History Goes Bump podcast started off clearly as a hobby for me. And over the years, it has become a business. And sometimes you have to make decisions that are business decisions. And a few months ago, we started doing these Redux episodes, hoping that we could prop up our Patreon a little bit, because unfortunately, with inflation, we know times are tough for people. And it's the the little extras that people cut, you know, whether it's your streaming services or something else, because you got to save money in some way. So our Patreon wasn't doing so well, we thought, well, maybe if we do these Redux episodes where you and I go back and record some of the earlier locations that History Ghost Bump had done and do them together, that we would get some more people on board there. It worked a little bit, but uh, it hasn't grown like what we were hoping for. And we really feel like these shows should be shared with everybody because I'm really loving the way they're coming out. It's, it's how we would have wanted History Goes Bump to have been done from the very beginning if I had known what I was doing. <laughs> so we're going to be bringing the Redux episodes to the free feed as well. Those people who are over supporting us on Patreon, you're still going to get those Redux episodes first and much earlier than everybody else. And ad free And ad-free always. All your stuff is always ad-free over there. And we're going to be starting this coming up here in June. So be watching for the first Redux to drop at that time. It's going to be Ripley's Auditorium, which was our very first episode that History Ghostbump ever produced. So we're looking forward to bringing that to you guys. We want to thank you guys for joining us on this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers.
2: Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher or your favourite podcast catcher. Of all the battles the USS O'Bannon participated in, employing a strategy of pulverizing a sub by pelting potatoes so proficiently as to gain the upper hand certainly is odd. There's a lot of peas in there. <laughs> yeah, and it's got a puh, 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 puh. I shouldn't have done peas with this mic. I know because we don't have a pop filter on it. <laughs> the mansion was the social center of Beverly Hills. Bev Hootie. Is that what you guys call it?
1: Bev Hootie? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> that booty yeah, i love it but she found companionship again with actor musician with actor and music- musician musician i always have a hard time with that <laughs> word too it's like soldiers i always say shoulders
2: parts of the original Pickfar- <laughs> pick farm i keep wanting to say pickford instead of pick fair i know it's hard. her last name